a lady named Flora, not her real name, contacted us some time ago about helping her with her golden retriever, who happened to be very aggressive to both dogs and humans. Now, before we get going, I know what you're thinking. A golden retriever that's aggressive to dogs and even humans? And the answer to that is yes. One thing that you'll learn about dog aggression through these episodes is that every breed can be aggressive. Every kind of breed, from collies to pit bulls to German shepherds to miniature schnauzers, everything can be aggressive. This happened to be a golden retriever. Flora had a husband named Ralph and three kids and just a nice couple. But I will tell you one thing I noticed about Flora right away is that she was kind of in charge of the family. Somebody's got to be in it. Might as well be her. And she sort of liked to tell her husband and her kids and even me how the cow ate the cabbage, as my wife says. Their dog's name was... Daisy, and as I said, she's a golden retriever and she was four years old. The very second I met her, she was growling at me. She didn't like me right from the beginning. And of course, I've learned after working with lots of dogs that I never take any of that personally. Flora, again, the dog's owner, was a little upset when I told her at the first session that this was going to be an assessment session. We weren't going to start behavior modification actually for one or two sessions down the road that we needed to do some prerequisite training with her and the dog and her family before we really started to do specific behavior modification with the dog. Flora was upset because she wanted to go right into behavior modification. She wanted me to say hello to her and her family and then just immediately go in and start doing behavior exercises. And it just doesn't work that way. In today's episode, The Essential First Steps in Treating Your Dog's Aggression, we'll explore the things that have to be in place before you can realistically start behavior modification for your dog to set yourself up for the best chance of success with your dog. Hi. I'm Scott Schaefer, and you're listening to the Dog Aggression Answers Podcast. I've worked with thousands of aggressive dogs and their owners, and I'm certified by two international certifying organizations in dog behavior. In this podcast series, I'll explain why your dog is acting aggressively and provide recognized science-based answers, things you can do to make things better. Understanding and addressing your dog's aggression will make living with your dog better, and let's not forget improve your dog's life too. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, Flora was pretty much in charge of things with her family, which is fine. She was kind of a type A personality, if you know what I mean by that. And her husband was quite happy to let her run the show, at least in regards to the dog, which is fine. I typically find with my clients that Somebody in the family seems to take the lead on what's going on with the dog, and that, in this case, was going to be Flora. I explained to Flora and her husband, Ralph, what needed to happen before we could launch behavior modification for Daisy. There are just some elements that have to be in order to effectively do the behavior modification so we have a positive outcome and, again, a good chance of success. I use the analogy, and this helps a lot, I think, with clients, of someone just walking onto a tennis court 
in their street clothes with no racket, no balls, no partner, and no understanding of the game of tennis. It just wouldn't work at all. It would be kind of embarrassing, actually. I mean, maybe that analogy is a little bit silly, but it's the same thing with behavior modification with dogs. There has to be some things in place, both with the dog and with the owners, for a really good, positive chance of success. And I think Flora got it a little bit. She started to act like she understood, and maybe maybe she was just doing that acting. But the more I explained, the more she seemed to really understand. What are those elements in behavior modification? What has to be in place before we start really serious behavior mod with a dog? Well, let me list, kind of highlight some of the major areas that have to be done. The first is an assessment. The assessment helps us understand what needs to be addressed with a dog. We talked about that in the last episode on the seven types of dog aggression. The next major area is equipment. This is really important before we do behavior modification. Here are some of the items falling under equipment that need to be addressed. The first one is proper treats. Well, behavior modification uses positive reinforcement, which means we give the dog something it wants to increase a behavior. And treats is one of the most effective because dogs are definitely food motivated. That's their monetary system, as I like to say, is food. And it needs to be treats that dogs like, or in your case, the specific treat that your dog likes. And I have some that I found that work pretty well through the years, but I find that some dogs don't like some of the ones I recommend. What's important is that the owner is aware of what's a high value, soft, very small treat that can be quickly consumed by the dog that is very rewarding. That's really going to be important in positive reinforcement type of behavior modification. The other one is a proper treat bag. One of those, you know, nerdy looking bags that you put on your bell to hold the treats. These are really important because when doing behavior modification, we're doing a lot of treating. We're really treating at a pretty quick rate in some cases. And we specifically want a treat bag that holds itself open. In other words, it'll stay open so we can quickly get in there and get out. Of course, the next one under equipment is leash. Leash is super important. There's a whole list of leashes that I don't want people to use, like retractable leashes, very long leashes, the kind of leashes that choke down on dogs' necks. There's a lot that I don't want them to use. There's a lot that I do like to use, and I tend to prefer smaller, very short leashes for a number of reasons, and we'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes. Next would be collar. The collar is super important. Again, just like with the leash, I can think of a whole lot that I don't want you to use. Shot collars, prong collars, choke collars. Typically, I like to use just a flat collar, just an old school flat collar done properly. They work great. There are some other collars that I do recommend sometimes for special cases. Another piece of equipment is a clicker. We use clickers a lot in operant training or or like dog tricks, like sit, stay down, come, roll over, that kind of stuff. They work great for helping dogs learn those behaviors, but we also use them in behavior modification. Really can be a great tool. Not every dog is okay with the clicker, by the way. Some are rather scared of it or phobic, and in those cases, we don't use it and we use something else. But if you get a clicker, 
Please don't use it until you understand how to use it. It can really mess that good tool up if used improperly. Next piece of equipment is a muzzle. Yeah, if you have an aggressive dog, especially to humans, we might want to use a muzzle as needed. Not all the time, but as needed. And we want to be careful we get the right size and the right type. And then there's some other special training tools that we use sometimes depending on the need. And we can go in those in, again, future episodes. The next major area is management. Now, this is not behavior modification, but what are we going to do to keep the dog from getting in trouble, meaning for him biting somebody? How are we going to keep that dog from biting somebody or even biting another dog? Well, we do that through management. We just keep the dog from rehearsing the behaviors. So the first thing I have people do is keep the dog away from the dog's triggers. And in the case that we're dealing with here, it'd be unfamiliar dogs and unfamiliar humans. We want to talk about safety around humans and dogs. So this is more than just avoidance of other humans and other dogs, but it's actually what are the specific things you can do to make sure that doors don't come open, your dog flies out of the house, or the dog comes off the leash, or a host of other things. There's a whole lot of things that we want to do just some safety measures to make sure that dog doesn't hurt somebody or even another dog, and we don't allow them to rehearse those behaviors. Because one thing you have to know about dog aggression, the more they do it, the more they do it. So this management thing is really good. It's not behavior modification, but we're going to keep the dog from getting worse. And the last thing I want to mention about management is safety around children if the dog is human aggressive. Children really can bother some human aggressive dogs because they have three attributes. They move fast, they're loud, and they are unpredictable. Things that that dogs that don't like humans too much, unfamiliar humans, they really don't like in, in some cases with children. It's just some dogs really have a problem with it. Owner education is the next major area we need to talk about as far as first steps in preparation for behavior modification. And there's really two areas that I focus on, and that is, number one, is canine body language. Dogs obviously can't talk to us, but can they? Well, they do. They talk to us with their body language, and we need to know how to read that so that we can do a few things. One is to know what the dog is afraid of and to what degree. The second thing is to know what the yellow or effective zone is for the dogs. What do we mean by effective zone or yellow zone? There's three zones when it comes to behavior modification. Green, yellow, red. Green means the dog's not afraid of it. Red means the dog is terrified. Yellow means the dog is concerned. And these are usually modulated by distance. So the green zone would mean I'm really far away from that scary human or that scary dog, don't care. The yellow zone says, I'm noticing this dog or human. I'm a little concerned, but that's all. The red zone says, I'm terrified and want to get away as fast as I can. It's kind of like a kid that's afraid of water. The kid could stand on the deck surrounding the pool and be kind of fine. Not really worried, although he's not learning anything about water. Or we could throw the child, obviously we wouldn't do this, into the deep end of the pool and the kid would be terrified. That would be the red zone. 
Or we could take the child's hand and have him in the shallow end or on the steps going into the shallow end, and he would not be terrified, but he would be learning that maybe this water is not so scary. And we would know how fast to move the child into the water by what he's telling us, his fear, what he's vocalizing. We do the same thing with dogs, but we do it with body language. And it's very important that we read this and know how to read this so we know how fast to pace the dog's behavior modification. This is just exceedingly important. It really is. I've put a link in the episode notes that will take you to a 49-minute video on canine body language. It's an overview. It's not exhaustive by any means, but those 49 minutes, I think, will be well invested as part of the preparation for doing behavior modification for your dog. The second area of owner education I'm very concerned about is the proper handling on leash. Now, I'm not talking about making your dog a perfect heel dog and a show dog on leash or anything like that at all. Well, there are some components, I guess, in that. But what I'm really interested in is that the owner have proper handling skills for doing behavior modification. And those are a little different than what we think of when we think of leash skills for the dog. What am I talking about? Really three components here. Number one is that we have humane control of the dog that we're able to move the dog left and right, forwards and backwards and all that, very humanely and very calmly. The second component is micromanaging the leash. We don't want to do that. So many owners, in fact, I'm going to say most owners, really put in way too many leash inputs, and it makes the dog nervous and confused. And this is very bad for behavior modification. The third component is attention. We want the dog paying a little bit more attention to the owner instead of all the scary triggers and the environment. This is important. These skills are important because most of the behavior modification done with dogs, not all, but most, has a leash component. And if we don't have that down, we're not doing that properly, we can really frustrate the behavior modification experts. The next thing that we need to do, or at least consider in preparation for behavior modification is behavior medication. For some of the more serious cases, we put the dog on long-term and or short-term anti-anxiety medication. Sometimes we do both. And of course, I would be working with a veterinarian in those cases. My general rule of thumb on medication is that we work with the dog a couple of sessions first And then we consider whether medication is even necessary. There are certain assessments like separation anxiety. We pretty quickly go to medication as a necessary component for that. But for some other things, we don't need it. We just like to see after working with a dog if that's something that needs to be done. But we want to do that very carefully. But I will tell you this about behavior medication. First, a lot of people will say, I don't want to give my dog behavior medication as part of the treatment plan because I don't want to change the dog's personality. Well, if I can just be kind of direct here, that's exactly what we're trying to do is change the dog's personality. I'm not trying to be funny here, but there is some component to that. We're not loving how the dog is acting. When we do use 
behavior medication with dogs, there's really a couple of things that we're trying to do. One is we are trying to lower that anxiety level enough to give us a little room to do behavior modification. If the dog's anxiety levels and fear levels and stress levels are so high that he panics at almost anything, it's just almost impossible to work with a dog. So the medications tend to give us a window to work in temporarily. And let me talk about that temporarily thing. Kind of a rule of thumb that I use is six months, and I think that's pretty common in the business. Put the dog on medication if needed, if advised, for six months, and let's see how the dog does. And sometimes after six months, and that's a pretty typical period, as I mentioned, we can wean the dog or taper the dog off the medication. Sometimes it needs to be extended. But know something. For dogs that have really significant fear issues, like would be associated with aggression, the dog is not a happy camper. And we need to lower those anxiety levels so the dog can be worked with. And secondly, it gives the dog an opportunity to experience things. Dogs that are so anxious and fearful just shut down the environment and their world gets very, very small. So they can't learn about these triggers and they can't learn that maybe these triggers aren't so scary. This gives them a little window to observe and learn. And those are the couple of really big positives for medication. Again, we're not going to take them forever. We're going to monitor it carefully with the vet and change the dosage as is necessary and look at hopefully ultimately getting them off. But let me say this, for the more extreme cases that need medication, the side effects of medication, in my opinion, are not nearly as bad as the damage that that anxiety and fear and stress is doing to the dog. Think about that for a second. Most of the drugs that we use for canines in behavior modification are the same ones that are used with humans. And the side effects are really pretty minimal and they're well-tested. And even though they may have some somewhat undesirable side effects, that's way better than the damage that's being done to that dog by those chronic levels of anxiety he or she's having to endure. One thing that almost everyone thinks is needed before behavior modification is started, but is not really, is obedience training, sit, stay, down, come, those kinds of things, operant training. It's not really necessary. These are behavioral issues we're talking about, not obedience issues. The analogy I like to make is to bulimia, and that's the condition where an individual stops eating to the point of it being fatal. It's a very, very serious thing. But let's think about bulimia for a second. Teaching a dog better obedience to help them with aggression, and that's like the only thing you do, is like teaching someone that's bulimic better table manners. It doesn't really hurt but it doesn't really help. Those are just external behaviors. The bulimic needs behavioral modification to assess their issues with food, just like a dog needs behavior modification to address their issues with unfamiliar triggers like dogs and humans. In today's episode, 
We're saying that you have to do some simple preparation before you start behavior modification with your dog. Just like you wouldn't go play a game of golf without clubs, balls, proper shoes, education about the basics of the game and the golf course itself. Just like that wouldn't be possible. It's not possible to effectively start behavior modification with your dog without proper preparation. It just can't be rushed. If you're really serious about doing behavior modification and want what I call durable results, there has to be some simple preparation done first. When Flora, the lady that I talked about at the beginning of this episode, their husband Ralph and the dog Daisy, saw the whole process laid out in front of her, it didn't seem that overwhelming. She got the big picture and was on board for the entire process. The outcome for Daisy was good as a result, in large part because Ralph and Flora were willing to put in the time for behavior modification and to do the preparation. Flora's personality, her type A personality that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, really turned out to help. She directed her determination and energy level into doing all the exercises she learned and doing them in a committed way. And the result was great. And they're living with a happy Daisy the dog now. Be thinking about what you'll need to do before you can consider behavior modification for your dog. The equipment things that we mention and any education you might need. Really, when you break this down, none of this is that complex. It's just sitting down and getting it done, getting the things that you need. We're going to take a couple of upcoming episodes to drill down a little bit more on some of the more detailed ones of these. We're going to take a couple of upcoming episodes to guide you in these essential first steps. I'll make some recommendations on where you can find most of the resources you'll need, and I'll suggest various products and educational resources, etc. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on any of the popular podcast players. There's a button at the bottom of the landing page on dogaggressionanswers.com if you'd like to leave me a message. I try to answer all messages and always appreciate your input. Before I sign off, I always like to remind you that if you have a dog who is aggressive and dangerous to humans, please consult directly with a certified dog behavior consultant for assistance. And be sure to also take proper measures to ensure your dog is never in a position to injure anyone. Thank you for joining me today. Before you go, please subscribe if you haven't already. If not for yourself, do it for your dog. If you find these episodes helpful, please leave a review. I'll see you next time as we continue your journey of addressing your dog's aggression. Now go hug your dog.